Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. And I'm Simon. We are Native in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 146, recorded on March 23rd, 2021. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on nativeintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. Today we are going to talk about a lot of stuff, as we always do. <laughs> Funny that, isn't it? But we're going to be covering the uh, <clears throat> little outage last week, the small AD uh, snafu. We are going to uh, talk about some blue screens while printing with updates on Windows. Always fun. <laughs> Power BI, the March update is out. And it brings with it not necessarily very big changes, but a few smart new things. Microsoft is reopening. And that's an interesting story in and of itself. There is a new Azure AD Connect. Uh, rumor has it that Microsoft is in discussions to buy Discord. And while everything is going on, Intune is turning 10 and having a fairly chill birthday. Does that have you, pretty much cover you, it? Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever considered going like on, on amateur radio? I was about to say going on record because that's exactly what we're doing here. Do I, I sure hope this isn't on the record. It's off the record, just recorded. And there we have Moving the name on. of this episode. <laughs> off the record recorded? Off the record, just recorded. Just recorded. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. So the... Topic for today is data literacy. But before we can go into any details and, and basically come to my conclusions here, let's start by looking at what data literacy, literacy, data literacy, it's a hard word, what it actually is. So let's just toss the ball to you, Simon. What do you say that data literacy means? <laughs> and now I'm going to be very, very honest. I read the question before we started to record and I still have no clue. But my, my first thoughts were, okay, it's it's making sense of data. It's it's I connected to literature. So it's it's about storytelling with data, if we were going to be really creative here. If you had just stopped at making sense with data or making sense of, of data, everything would have been just perfect as a segue. Unfortunately, you completely went off the rails and was last seen going full steam all the wrong ways. Well, okay. So let's backtrack a bit. It is most definitely making sense of data. but Because according to Wikipedia, which may or may not be a good source for all things, but in this case it works very fine. The definition is, data literacy is the ability to read, understand, create, and communicate data as information. Much like literacy as a general concept, data literacy focuses on the competencies involved in working with data. It is, however, not similar to the ability to read text, since it requires certain skills involving reading and understanding data. So, yes, it is definitely about making sense of data, and it has nothing to do with literature. <laughs> but the last sentence of the definition is rather telling, because mm -hmm. it requires certain skills involving reading and understanding data. 
So what data or which data you might ask? Well, that is indeed a rather good question because it brings us to the concept of domain knowledge. And domain knowledge is the specific knowledge about processes, concepts, and in data for a specific field or domain we're talking about in any given context. And it is the lack of domain knowledge that makes it so fiendishly hard to just use any off-the-shelf consultant for BI in general and self-service BI in particular. This is not an issue that only pops up in BI, by the way. Uh, the concept of domain knowledge is absolute key in just about anything we do in IT. I'm, I'm sure you are more than aware um, what that means in your on, on your side of the fence. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So the problem with data literacy is that it is implied. And what I mean with that is that I've seen the same mistakes being reported, uh, being repeated in reporting over and over. And I am by no means an exception. Since I know how to work with data, it's easy to think that my clients do too. And sure, if you're used to working with IT departments, this might hold true. But to get self-service BI to work, we're going to go after the end users who rarely display any deep level of data literacy. They are absolutely crammed to the gills when it comes to domain knowledge. But data literacy? Not so much in most cases. Now, I'm a big fan of uh, Simon Sinek. I, I'm sure you remember the guy that wrote uh, Start With Why, for, among other things. He's, he's written a lot of books. I, I so hoped you were could say, I'm a big fan of Simon, period. You might think that, and I'm, I'm happy that you think that. And we can leave that for another time. But the, the idea of Simon Sinek's Start With Why is, well, he basically draws uh, a few concentric circles. And in the middle, you have the why, followed by the what, and finally the how. And this is basically the driving force for eh, just about anything mm -hmm. and, and everything. And because of preconceptions due to too much knowledge, either we know why, but not how or what, or we know what and some of how, but not why. In that way, we're back to the domain knowledge and rarely having both deep data literacy and domain knowledge. So this has a direct impact on BI projects in general, and again, self-service BI projects in particular, as I'm sure you're already starting to see. In many cases, people don't speak the same language. And what's worse is that they might not even realize it. Take the most widely spread tool for BI, for instance. Yes, Excel. <laughs> if you've used Excel for more than 10 minutes, you tend to look at data in neat rows and columns. And that is indeed how most uh, data is, is stored. But is it the best way to look at it? Just because you're used to look at just because you're used to it looking one way doesn't mean that there might not be a better way to look at it. And this is where the importance of increasing the data literacy 
uh, of people involved in self-service BI products really come into its own. Because if you don't know what's possible, you will never uh, basically go outside of the box because you mm -hmm. don't even know there is a box. So this has a very interesting side effect because it's, it's going to impact good enough. I mean, what is good enough? Well, how, how long is a piece of string? Uh, it depends entirely on who you're asking. And if you're asking a BI consultant or developer, they're probably going to have a vastly different opinion than the, the end users or the business analysts. So let's go back to the user that's used Excel for the last decade. They're going to instinctively look at data as a grid, while a developer or a BI analyst might start to do creative things with slicers, with visuals, and God knows what. I have a colleague, I love him dearly, he is a fantastic BI developer, but he has this phenomenal way of just, as soon as Adam and Patrick says something on Guy in the Cube, I guarantee you that if I turn my back on him, he is going to have implemented the whole darn thing in one of our customer reports. And I, I'm not saying that it is a bad thing, but I am saying that it is a fantastic example of what I'm talking about. That report might make a ton of sense for the developer, but is it really what the user asked for? As technology specialists, we have a funny way of getting lost on the road to user satisfaction and blowing by good enough in about 100 miles an hour. Good enough is directly impacted by preconceptions. So again, we are not speaking the same language and in many cases we are not even realizing it. So what you're telling me now makes a lot of sense, but could it be the other direction as well that the lack of understanding of what's possible may lead a non-data speaking user into the perception that something that is very, very good isn't good enough as well. Does it apply the other way around? Can you give me an example? Sure. Um, let's say that we take... If, let, let's take a car. If I know a lot of things about cars, I know what's possible for a certain budget. I know what things cost and how to manufacture it and how it's designed and the physical limitations of it. Right. But if I have no clue of the basic concepts of how a car is built, I might be expecting more out of the same input than someone who knows how it works. That is a great question. And the best example that I know of that is availability. If you mm -hmm. ask a user, what kind of availability do you want to have? And the answer is always going to be 100%. And then you explain to them that, yeah, sure, you can have 100%, but it's going to cost you an arm and a leg and your firstborn. And mm -hmm. suddenly, ah, oh, we don't need 100%. So yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. And it is a very good point in, in the conversation, for sure. Mm -hmm. And one of my standard man mantras is tech is comparatively easy, people are hard. I mean, everybody who's spent more than 10 minutes with me knows that. And that is exactly the case in this conversation because by upping the data literacy of the users, so many things become so much easier. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, we're going to be in agreement what data types are and why they're there 
people start to realize why null data, for instance, brings a host of problems. And the word quality is starting to take on a deeper, uh, more, more um, standardized meaning. And trying to implement BI before you understand the language or the concept, it's not unlike trying to learn how to drive a car with no idea what the levers and pedals do and why on earth you need them in the first place. So yes, you, you might definitely come up with crazy ideas, if you put it that way, if you do not know uh, the data literacy side. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that brings us to another extremely important concept, and that is the concept of data culture. I'm going to go ahead and say that data culture can't be established without a grounding in data literacy. But it's easy to overlook the lack of data literacy while trying to establish a data culture that can grow and nurture a service or a BI project. And in many cases, I found that the culture was fine or decent, but the basic literacy was not. Again, if we come back to the preconceptions and thinking that because I know something, everybody else does too. Uh, yeah, no. The thing is, I won't say much more about data culture as I have the perfect guy to do the talking for me. And as soon as we figure out our schedules, I, I hope to be able to get him on the show. He is one of the, the loudest voices on the internet um, when it comes to data, uh, data culture. And um, I'll say that he's, he is also one of the sharpest people. And leave it at that. So the tool of choice for everything data for me and for most people is Power BI. I'm a huge proponent of doing incremental BI. That is start small, explore, establish your idea, package the whole thing, lather, rinse, and repeat. It basically combines the explorations of individual data, literal, data literate users and the power and order and governance of an IT department. But Power BI is an extremely uh, powerful tool, and in many ways not unlike a grenade, because when you pull the pin, Mr. Grenade is no longer your friend. And this is very, very true with Power BI. I mean, just like Excel is potentially one of the most dangerous pieces of software ever devised, Power BI is, in my view, even more so because you can now do creative things with so much more data. By spending a comparatively small amount of time talking about and increasing the data literacy among the users, the, the business analysts, and, and well, whoever you have in your project, the risks for the project go down and the results go up. With Power BI Premium per user, the tool just became even more powerful while still remaining basically dirt cheap. Use the tool to create a kind of feedback loop. The more your users increase their data literacy, the more they can use the tool. And the more they use the tool, the faster said data literacy go up. So in essence, spend some time talking to your users or your project members about the concept of data literacy. People don't just wake up one Tuesday morning and know everything there is to know about the, the concept of data and data literacy. It takes time. And there's always going to be people who, A, might not realize that this is an issue, or B, are afraid to ask, what is this we're talking about? It can literally mean the difference between a smooth project and one that basically lurches from issue to issue. 
Remember that the skills learned in CevService BI are the exact same skills used for more heavy data engineering. It is just the scope that differs. Awesome. And and I, I'm just reading very late the Phoenix Project. Have you read it? No. The I DevOps, don't think I have. The DevOps oh, handbook. Yeah. No. I it's it's on my list. Put it on top of your list. Okay. It's 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 my new Bible. I'm even planning my life, my personal life after the DevOps approach now. And this is my where I might point out the fact that Simon is not expected to be sleeping for the next week. <laughs> How does that work out for you, sir? Let, let's just say that I'm very good at being the constraint of the uh, workflow as well as having a lot of unplanned work. I am saying nothing. <laughs> Damn it, Simon. Amen. Uh, but but uh, I, I can't wait of to, to be part of that data culture discussion because I, I, like culture is something I come back to in every single discussion I'm having now. Uh, I have all kinds of like high security things, management, digital workplace, and everything in the end goes back to one single thing that's wrong. And that's the culture of those organizations, IT departments. And while I agree wholeheartedly, I also, I, I get a bit concerned because just as much as I love to say, why is the most important question, mm -hmm. it does tend to become a bit fluffy if you're not careful. And I'm going to go ahead and say that talking about culture as the root cause is also potentially a bit fluffy. You can't just get away with it's the culture. It's it's not a full stop. You need to dig into what does that mean. And th this is applicable to to all the the fluffy words in my view. What what's your take on that? I'm since I'm now reading my new Bible, and this is and it's it's not that it's all new to me. It's more in regards to it's someone else putting words on think things I have done unintentionally or unknowingly for a very very long time. So it makes sense. And in this case, I can most often tell exactly what part of the culture an organization needs to start with. So in most, in many cases, it's the culture of the managers decide everything. And the business goals is always more important than anything else. And that means that also like a previous business goal is never as important as a current one. So fix this, and it takes a while for IT to fix it due to other things. And then someone else gets there and say, fix this, and the backlog just grows due to missed priorities and whatnot. So, and, and it's also like the why. Why should... IT care about the why. And then... Th that, that question in itself is one of the mm. most dangerous questions I can think of. Why, sh why should I care? Yeah, why should I care? Because you care about being relevant. You care about being important to an organization. You might. Most I might. 
but I'm not sure that is super common. Yeah, but you care about having a job. Now we're talking. <laughs> exactly. And, and th this is a fantastic discussion, and I will use your services uh, because I have a, an interesting thing going on at mm -hmm. work. Do mm -hmm. you do work? I was about to say that, yes, sir, I do work. Don't tell anyone, though. Speaking about things that do not work. Aha! <laughs> so it turns out that Azure AD is important. <laughs> yes, sort of, kind of. And certificates as well, or keys. Keys, yeah. Somewhere here, I, I would think that Tony just said, oh, for f in heaven, yeah. and went, yeah. dude, I want to slap you so hard. <laughs> Exactly. which I'm sure he is entitled to. So there was a bit of an outage last week where Azure AD uh, was unavailable. And we, we know fairly well what happened. Mm -hmm. And as always, nothing ever happens on its own. There was a series of event, events. <laughs> We're now in, in New Zealand events. <laughs> series of events. That led to this specific issue. Mm -hmm. Do you know what the main problem that made the whole thing take so much time was? Yeah, because they, they um, since when they rolled back the changes of the keys that had expired or were unintentionally removed, it took time for all the services to catch up on that and realize that, oh, I now have a key that works again. And, and that's what happened. Like, I think... One thing they don't mention in the history and the report of this is that they actually redeployed Intune. The entire freaking service was redeployed in less than 24 hours. Huh. That is quite impressive. And it's not even part <laughs> of the investigation. Cool. But, but they had to redeploy every single microservice so that interns turn intune turns 10 is actually a lie because it was born <laughs> basically <It's>, yesterday <laughs> yeah the the intune that turns 10 is long gone i can tell you uh, but we'll be get back to that as well but so it was a caching issue yeah and this would not have happened if everything in azure was built to the same um design but mm -hmm. it isn't because azure is like any other enormous um tool basically mm -hmm. it's a patchwork mm -hmm. all the services are different and they behave in, in subtly different ways and few things uh, outline this or underscore this as much as one of these kinds of outages mm -hmm. absolutely uh, and i and as always they do a very very good root cause analysis talking about the next steps that they already have a couple of remediations that would have prevented both this outage as well as the outage in september um, so i think this is absolutely brilliant and even though like for, we were fortunate since it didn't hit our time zone uh well not the, the not the main issue but the mm -hmm. the uh, uh the compound issues were mm -hmm. still happening in europe uh, but everything is now being worked out. They have backup authentication setting up and a lot of other things that is really, really good. 
But that also brings us to the next question, and you even touched on this uh, in in your focus segment, uh, that in just about a week, Microsoft will be upgrading the SLA for Azure AD from 99.9% to 99.99%. And I haven't done the math, I should have done that, but that is a quite significant upgrade. It is indeed. It is indeed because uh, 99.9%. That means what is it? I'm gonna do the. I'm gonna do the math. 99.9 means eight hours, 45 minutes, and 57 seconds over a year. For for 99.9, that that's eight hours that the thing can be unavailable, and you're still within the SLA. Mm-hmm. If you tack on this, the last, the fourth nine. You're down to 52 minutes, 35.7 seconds for a year. Mm-hmm. And that is utterly amazing. Like, That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> but, but but honestly, I, I, I would like to see the on-prem environment that can have their identity service up 99.99%. Everyone should be able to have that, but I doubt that that will be the case yeah i i agree i agree mm. um and that is one of the the hardest discussions that i find with customers well what happens mm. if azure ad goes down well you're screwed but it is very very unlikely yeah but it just happened which has no bearing on what's going to happen tomorrow mm-hmm. well actually yes it does because if we learn one thing from the disaster in uh south central u.s mm-hmm. It is that whatever happened there, we know exactly what happened. And mm-hmm. that exact thing can never happen again. Yeah. And, and it's that's the what... same thing here. Exactly. Uh, mid, mid-year this year, this will, be, have, will have been remediated for all eternity. So it was, it was basically a timing issue. <laughs> exactly. Oh, uh, and speaking about timing issues and things that fail, Microsoft have released a new patch or the last um, patch from Microsoft had a um, faulty KB that have been causing some serious uh, blue screens of death when printing. And I I will be completely honest and say that I haven't read up on it in in its entirety. there are some challenges with very specific brands and so on, but I actually had a uh, a participant in my course today which have this issue in a production environment. But I, I think this then goes back to, because I've seen and heard a lot of discussions, okay, how could Microsoft let this pass? And Microsoft have tried to fix it and have been reverting fixes and so on as well. But, like, I'm biased in this. I have a very high degree of understanding for why things like this can happen. And in my world, it's simple enough to remediate if you know and and have the right tools. Sure. Just don't use a printer. (laughs) That is one way. Uh, But how, how, how do you think about updates that comes to your services what how do you expect that they will work 100% of the time in all of your environments or should people 
cut Microsoft some slack because it's it's impossible for Windows to test every scenario. Dude, I've been at this for 23, it's not going on 24 years. I know that nothing works 100%, especially if there is a printer involved. <laughs> that is very true. Do, do you, are you aware of that you are soon closing in of, uh, to a quarter of a century in the business? Moving on. The Power BI March update is out. And again, it's not a huge thing. It's, it's not uh, bombarding everybody with new cool features, which I think is a good thing because it, it, it shows that the, uh, the, the platform is fairly stable, even though there's always going to be updates and, and so on and so forth. So a few things that I want to mention is that there is a simplification in the syntax for calculate. And anyone who's ever done DAX knows that it has some uh, quirky behaviors from time to time. Now, if you know DAX, it's not going to be difficult, but they have they have uh, made it slightly easier to to do uh, complex uh, multiple filters and complex combinations of conditions with with calculate. I'll I'll just leave it at that. While we're on that, direct query for Azure Analysis Services was announced and, and is now in preview since previous. And um, thanks to a lot of, of um, comments and uh, reports from users, they have done some pretty pretty nifty updates. So definitely go look at that. Question. DAX, is yep. that a Microsoft language? Yes. It is. Okay. So they, they own the language. Yes. And was that introduced with Power BI or was it there for anything else previously? DAX is the language of Excel. Ah. So that's why it is surprisingly simple for people to go from Excel to Power BI. Oh, don't tell my father that. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so another small thing, it, it might look like a small thing, but I think it is a fantastic thing, is that we now have a change log for Power BI Desktop. Mm -hmm. And they have also introduced the concept of QFE or quick fix engineering. So you can go to the change log and see what kind of bug fixes they have in whatever release it is. And you also see the, the latest release number, which is kind of neat. And if you're mm -hmm. used to working with basically anything else, this is standard practice. And I really love they put it in. Mm -hmm. Another interesting thing that I've read about is Microsoft has... Uh, started looking at reopening mm -hmm. and they have their six uh, steps basically for, for um, opening. Um, and the first step or yeah, stage one that is closed and stage six is open. And we are now, I think at four, yep. that's the stage four, the soft open. And they're going to go for open with restrictions. And apparently they're aiming for July 6th for uh, stage six. I, uh, I sure hope that will be reality uh, because that's when I take off to Scotland, hopefully. <laughs> oh, you're, you're seriously expecting to be able to go to Scotland in July? I am. Cool. I, I hope you will be able to go. Yeah, we, we, we'll see about that. And, and like, I... Is, is that, so the, the stages, is that for Microsoft in Seattle 
for Microsoft worldwide. So they are moving the US worksites to be in stage six phase as of July 6th, mm -hmm. 2021. Exactly. But even with full reopening, hybrid work will still be the norm. And the, the interesting thing that I, I see here is that most business leaders apparently are faring better than their employees. It says that 61% of leaders say that they're thriving right now, which is 23 percentage points higher than those without decision-making authority. And if you combine this with a report from Reuters that came out, I think it was yesterday, it turns out, no, it's well, it was reported by Reuters, but it came out of KPMG. Most major global companies no longer plan to reduce their office space uh, after the coronavirus pandemic. Just 17% of chief executives plan to cut back on offices, down from 69% in the last survey in August. Either mm -hmm. downsizing has already taken place or plans have changed as the impact of extended, unplanned remote working has taken a toll on some employees. It, it feels like we're looking at a, some kind of a rebound. Yeah, and, and, and like I, I wouldn't be the person who say, I told you so, but I told you so. Yes, you did. I, I, I don't like humans doesn't change well when they are forced to change we are adaptable to work under conditions that are hard but deep within we don't want to change and i don't think the change will be as big as the rest of the world believes and i do think that hybrid will be the norm um, but i don't see it being such a tremendous change that the world believes. I, I just I just don't see that. And I don't want that, personally. Um, like, I do think that offices are vitally important to build, a, build an identity of an organization. Because that's where we meet. Like, you can't build a culture being 10,000 islands which we in practice are working from home. It doesn't matter if you're in running calls or whatnot. We don't get that interaction, or very few are, that builds a culture. So I'm, I'm going to amend the... Um, people are not very apt at changing when they're forced to change. But mm -hmm. technology changes very, very mm -hmm. easily under pressure. Yep. So the, the main change from this pandemic is probably going to be technological more than mm -hmm. people. I, I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Which kind of leads us to to our next news item. There's a new Azure AD Connect. Yeah. Is I, it I hybrid? <laughs> does it work I, from home? It, it does. It does. Um, it's portable, sort of, even. Uh, so the um, it's a new release. 1.6.2.4. Bingo! <laughs> exactly. Uh, a very short IP address. IP address, Shen. <laughs> Don't try to do networking, Simon. It has not gone very well in the past. I, I'm ac actually an architect for a network project currently. Run away! And it, it has a bunch of new cool features, new commandlets and so on. The main thing I would like to point out here is that we now have support for selective password hash synchronization so you can you can add a filter to decide on who you're yes gonna... well that is useful 
Yeah, it really is. There, there. I, I've always been a supporter of password hash synchronization because there are a lot of good users um, for that or use cases for that. Good but users. There are, cool. <laughs> sorry, a number of good use cases for it, and from a security point of view as well. But there are some users that you want to have in the cloud, but you not don't necessarily want to sync their password for various reasons. So um, I think this is great that they're adding it. And uh, d- don't use it just because you can. Use it if you have a need for it. And it's always better to filter out the entire user than just filtering out the password hash sync. Agreed. Mm-hmm. So Microsoft is thinking of a bit of a shopping spree. You you can say so. And um, do you remember Mixer? <laughs> I very vividly remember Mixer. So I'm I'm the first thing I thought, and the, the reason why I discovered this, I saw it passing by in the Twitter feed, didn't take any notice. Then I saw that Skype were trending worldwide on Twitter <laughs> because people think that if Microsoft buys Discord, it will be the new Skype. I don't think that was a bad thing, though. A lot of people apparently think so. Uh, I can't remember the last time I actually used Skype. Yeah, I know, I do actually, but that's another question. Um, But yeah, and I I think that it would make a lot of sense to Microsoft to buy Discord and put that into the Xbox side of things. Uh, I think that would be a huge help, but I do think we would end up in the same situation as with Mixer, that people will move away from Discord just because it says Microsoft Discord. Or like Michael Gillette said on Twitter, Microcord. So Microsoft will turn Discord into Discord. Yeah, well done. There will be Discord. For sure. So so we'll see. Uh, There have been other companies interested in buying that. Uh, Epic Games and Amazon. Uh, but Microsoft is apparently offering $3 billion more than the current valuation. And the company has still not yet delivered a profit. So it's it's like Spotify. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. But interesting for sure. And um, we'll see wh- how it turns out. Yeah. So we are, we are, as always, starting to get very, very close, uncomfortably close to the end of this uh, episode. Yeah, but just happy birthday, Intune. I was just about to say that. Happy birthday, Intune. 10 years old. Yeah, today, actually. Uh, The first commercial release of Microsoft Intune, or Windows Intune, as it was called back in the days. And I think I started to work with it. It must have been one or two years after that in practice. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking of doing a, a, a recap of that since we have, I believe he was the world's first Intune MVP in Sweden, in uh, Björn Axel, who is now at Microsoft. He oh. was at Dell, I believe, at that point. Uh, and um, I'm just very, very happy to see that it has evolved since then. Because like I said earlier in, in the day uh, at my course, uh, it was a horrific product from the start. <laughs> I think you can say that safely for a lot of products. They have a lot of, of promise, but they might not always uh, fulfill that out of the box. 
Yeah, and I, I think you should really, everyone who listens to this should read the show notes and just take a look at that blog post from October 19, 2011, which doesn't make sense at all in terms of when they released Intune. Um, yeah, it was six months later. Yeah, exactly. Could no, six months that. earlier. Yeah, because you have news from past summit 2011. Were you there? Mm. No, I wasn't. I was actually in uh, San Francisco. I can't remember that far. Oh, back. never, never mind. Um, and and but, like things like HTML5 video support in IE9 mobile. <laughs> I now need to go rinse my ears with bleach. Yes. But what I do know when it comes to remembering things is that the Virtual MVP Summit is coming up next week. That it's going to mm-hmm. be a lot of fun. Not nearly as fun as going there, but we'll take what we get. Mm-hmm. And there are a few things that you're going to be doing, like the ESMUG coming up in April. As it looks now, we are still searching for speakers, so we may postpone that until later. It is difficult to find speakers. Yeah, and, and like the entire intention of the East Sweden Microsoft User Group is, of course, to build a local network. So I try to prioritize local speakers uh, or speakers that are of interest for for the local community. Uh, But that makes it a bit harder to find uh, suitable speakers. Especially during the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. But we we try our best to encourage that and uh, we'll see how it goes. Otherwise, we'll postpone it and do it at another time. Sure. You are going on a virtual tour, as it looks. Yeah, when it rains, it pours, because on April the 14th, I'll be speaking to the Croatia SQL SQL Server User Group, April 15th, the London Power BI User Group, and April 20th, the Dublin Power BI User Group. So that'll be a lot of fun, but also Mm -hmm. a lot of work. But yeah, we we do this because we're stupid. Well, yes, but (laughs) most because it is so much fun. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's pretty much what we have time for this week. Yeah, uh, it's been a hectic week. I uh, certainly look forward to having some time off over Easter. Yeah, for sure. Um, And it is now two weeks since uh, Tony left us. And it is super weird not to uh, hear his voice during the, the episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to be a long time before that normalizes, if it ever does. Yeah, I think all the, like every time we talk about identity, server, admin center, it, like those are things that he would have added to our notes and that he would have spoken about. Uh, Had a so, clue about. <laughs> speak for yourself. <laughs> and uh, with that, I thank you so much for listening and uh, we'll see you back in two weeks. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. Knee Deep in Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Arvidsson, Simon Binder and Tony Holopainen. If you have any feedback, questions or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at kneedeepintech.com.